Well, that got a great response. Episode 51 of the All Things Techie podcast. Hi, I'm Justin Dawson. Back-to-back episodes um, of the All Things Techie podcast. If you want to get in contact with the program, visit our website, www.allthingstech.ie. Well, remember we were talking about back to work in Dublin, Ireland. Well, now we're going to talk about back to work or working in rural Ireland with tech hubs. It's the All Things Techie podcast, episode 52. The All Things Techie Podcast is a product of the Extreme Media Network. For advertising and sponsorship opportunities, please visit www.extrememedia.ie. That's X-T-R-E-M-E media.ie. Audiovisual from an Irish perspective. This is the All Things Techie Podcast. It's Justin Dawson. It's the All Things Techie Podcast, episode 52. I loved going around Ireland and the wild Atlantic way of Ireland during the summer, during the end of the summer with my family. My wife, Jen, she keeps on going, oh God, I would love to just have a little house along the wild Atlantic way or a little cottage. And, you know, if you could work remotely and then I could do my business and we could all do it remotely. Well, there is a push to do this. The government in Ireland want people to be working from home, stopping the 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 toxic layers of traveling to work in commuter Dublin really and Cork maybe may be busy uh, areas of Ireland with heavy traffic. And then places in rural Ireland need redevelopment. You know, like the small villages in Ireland are becoming no more. You know, you had your your post office that was beside the local pub, which had a bank maybe beside it as well, or to get your money. A lot of these places are closing down because people are moving online. So how do you push people back into rural Ireland? Well, there's, there's grants uh, for trying to get these hubs set up in Ireland. 5G is getting improving. Uh, I, I never thought I'd see the day where fibre was out in Lusk Village. We have fibre broadband now in, in Lusk and it's getting better. You talk about Elon Musk and wanting to do a satellite broadband. Well, that can cover everywhere. So what's next? You know, will people start living in rural Ireland? I've spoken episode 51 of the podcast of friends that moved up to Donegal in the north of Ireland because they were told during the COVID pandemic that they can work from home and they bought houses in Donegal. Now, there's a bit of a pushback by some companies that want people to return to the workplace. Should they have to work five days a week? And I've been asking this question. It's on our surveys. We have polls up on the All Things Techie website and on our social media feeds. Would you like to work from home still? Would you like a hybrid model of working from home? Earlier in the week, I caught up with Owen Costello. He's a great guy. He has some background in tech. He explained to me how he got involved in tech, and you'll hear this in the program. But he, Owen was walking around the town of Dunleary. Sometimes the network was a bit hit and miss, but and it was getting dark. But Owen caught up with me while walking around, taking his dog for a walk, and trying to explain how 
technology shouldn't be an advantage of having rural setups and these tech hubs uh, around Ireland. It's the All Things Techie Podcast, episode 52. The All Things Techie Podcast. Subscribe, like, and share. I'd figured out how the computer department in Trinity allocated time. So they took your student ID and then I think your password was the reverse of your student ID. So I started clocking up huge amounts of time on the CPU, on my classmates. And it kind of came undone at one point because um, they noticed that the, you know, it was all coming from one terminal. And yeah. I, was, I was just trying to get lots of projects done. And uh, I kind of got a, a rap on the knuckles from the computer department. But what I did my, for my final year project was quite interesting because I was looking for a, a topic and one day I was in the faculty office and um, I overheard a conversation. One of the professors had run in sick and they said, oh, we'll have to reschedule that. So it, it took about three big folios of, of books, you know, one, the lecture hall capacity, two, all the student choices, and three, the commitment to the lecturer to actually, it took about half an hour to reschedule all his commitments, taking into account students' com- existing lecture commitments, lecture hall capacity and existing bookings, et cetera, et cetera. So I said, bingo, I think I've got my, my final year dissertation topic. So in, um, in Prologue, which was an artificial intelligence AI language, mm-hmm. I coded up what I called the faculty advisor and it broke it all down into uh, kind of rule-based queries that would somebody in the faculty office do that kind of uh, rescheduling, et cetera, much, much quicker. Mm-hmm. And because unless you have a knowledge of prologue, you'd have to actually know the syntax for the code to, to put in the query. So I built a kind of a natural language processor between the, the queries and the actual keyboard. So if you typed in in, in English sentence, it would parse the relevant bits and make sense of it and then put it into prologue and come come back with the right answer, the optimization of the the, the rescheduling. Well, that, that's the early days AI there. That's a, 1987. Wow. So, uh, I went, I was proud of the punch, Justin, so I went back to the faculty office once it was all done and I got my grade and I booted it up and I said to the lady, Who'd had who months previously had that problem with the rescheduling, and I said, uh, I think I mean, let's say her name was Mary. I said, now look, Mary, put in a query, just type it in any way you like in English um, about rescheduling, and she put in say Professor Keating, reschedule politics uh, first year, um, and it came back in point three of a second, <laughs> and I beamed at her. I beamed at her, and I said, now look how easy that will make your life that thing out of here that's our job to do those things we don't want these computers doing it in the fraction of a second so so that was the end of the faculty advisor i suppose for me justin it was an early introduction to that kind of the tension between computers and computerization and people you know there's 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 a there's a distrust that computers are going to you know yes they'll make a lot of things easier but at the same time people like doing things the way they do them and they also like the security of their jobs so kind of managing that interface is something which is you know been a, a, a focus for my career yeah you mentioned 
go ahead. You, 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 I, I was just saying to our listeners that you've had a, a wide range. That there's there's college, but you've had a wide range of going from that to domain names. You've been, I think, if I'm not mistaken, you've been a member of uh, the Irish Domain Registry and .ies, and you've you've. You, you went from website to what you're doing now, but talk to me a bit about your time with with doing websites and how you ended up going from there to what you're doing now. Yeah, so I suppose Justin, like, yeah, I've had a very wide career. I worked in the London Stock Exchange and what I did there was I, I kept track using Lotus Notes of all the kind of- Lotus Notes. <laughs> good old days. The, the kind of announcements of results, directors buying and selling shares, um, analyst briefings and all those kind of things. And I actually found tracking them through Lotus Notes, I was actually one of the top performing fund managers for small business, small company stock. Mm -hmm. But I found after five years, I kind of got tired of handing money over to other people to make a go of it. So I came back to Ireland, the three stores. But I think where things came undone between me and my dad, was that I wanted to try and scale it using tech. And he was traditional, successful traditional businessman, liked to do everything, you know, on the back of a, a, a metaphorical cigarette box mm -hmm. and uh, liked to um, keep it all in his head. And I kind of said, look, dad, that's not scalable. Like what happens if you, again, follow the metaphorical bus? And, uh, you know, we needed electronic point of sale readers, in my opinion, mm -hmm. we needed automated stock control. But you know, he wasn't having any of it, just to be honest with you. Years of pushing for this digital transformation, as you'd call it now, but this is back in um, 1999. I sort of said to Dad, Look, you know, either, either we go down the digital route, which will make our lives much easier, or I'll have to go my own way. And he kind of paused for, I'd say it was at least two minutes. And he said, Well, son, the best of luck with your new direction. Oh. So, <laughs> so I, I cashed in my chips to the family business. Mm -hmm. I said, I, I, I was saying to myself, well, what do I do now? And uh, I kind of, you know, the lessons I've learned in the stock exchange, look for repeat income, look for kind of a an, kind of an infrastructure utility type play and um, something that everyone needs. And in, in 2000, that was domain registrations, web hosting mm -hmm. and data center services. So, the front page of my house set up Novara Technology. We traded as register.ie, host.ie. And after six months, my partner, she in frustration, said, Listen, you know, either the business moves out or she is going to move out because she couldn't get into the bathroom with staff using it. She didn't get near the coffee machine because the techies are constantly on it. Mm -hmm. So, needless to say, Novara moved out. And we, we, we really focused on, on, you know, process improvement constantly and automation. So, you know, this is at a time where there weren't control panel systems, where there wasn't, wasn't you know, um, chain selects for, for identifying your, your, your problem, your tech support problem. And we introduced all of that in text chat back in 2001, 2002. As a result, we won the Irish Domain Registry, the .ie Domain Registries award for um, innovation two years in a row. We're Ireland's largest .ie reseller. And we, we had about, you know, at our high points now, before we got approached to, for, for buyout, we had around 10,000 customers. 
And we were able to manage that with just 20 staff. And, and that was thanks again to the process the innovation and automation. That we I have used. to stop you there and say, did your dad ever eat some humble pie and went, good for you, son? Well, Justin, do do dads ever, you know, make it up with their eldest sons? And, you know, I don't know, I don't know maybe it's an Irish thing. <laughs> uh, it doesn't it doesn't tend to happen. No, no. Okay. Uh, well, we're on very good terms. You know, he, he got over it. He got over it. Yeah. Um, so I built that up over eight years and uh, we I got an approach from Colin Piercy's DigiWeb, one of Ireland's largest broadband providers, and uh, I sold that successfully. I then kind of was looking saying, well, what do I do with all my experience? And I've made plenty of mistakes and I want to help other people avoid those mistakes. So I, I decided to go into the not-for-profit sector. I did my dissertation about how institutes of technology could better help um, scale up and start up businesses. And then I took on the job at TU Dublin Hothouse to run the incubation center there. And we were dealing with 60 or 70 high growth tech-related startups each year. Mm -hmm. And out of that, Justin came with the whole idea of how do we join up all the various supports that are available to startups and scale-ups, because it's quite fragmented. There's a lot of supports out there, but getting your head around them and putting them all in a line and figuring out how best to, to uh, work in the ecosystem is a job in itself. So that's when I set up Startup Ireland with some other incubation centre managers and, and entrepreneurs. And the high point for our Startup Ireland initiative was the Ireland's first ever National Startup Week to start a gathering. And from a standing start, that was, shoot, was we, we, you know, I only had the idea in December 2014. And I started jotting down how it could work on a sheet of paper. I looked at the gathering and said, look, let's, you know, let's build on that. So we called it the Startup Gathering. Um, I approached the person who delivered the Startup Gathering, Jim Miley, very kindly pointed me in the direction of all the toolkits, Jews, which are publicly available. So we had that kind of rollout strategy. Mm -hmm. And from a standing start in January, we staged in October 420 events in 22 counties. Wow. And digital really underpinned it. Just, yeah, 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 absolutely. I was delighted. 19,000 participants across Ireland. And oh. the success was very much digital driven. Mm -hmm. um, you know, using all of the, the various uh, productivity tools, WhatsApp groups, uh, social media accounts. Um, for Startup Ireland was really underpinned the success that we were able to deliver successfully for a very small budget. Right. And then I, I kind of said, well, look, what do I do next? Um, and I looked at my hometown here of Dunleary. I'm walking through it here now. Yeah. You can probably hear the waves in the background here. And I just felt, well, look, um, I've been talking about startup ecosystems and promoting Ireland across the world. And we've run Ireland's first ever startup week. What, what can I do? for Dunleary Town, which back in 2015, 2016, was struggling to find its way. Mm -hmm. Quite a high level of vacancies in the town. The kind of business community, wasn't clear what's the direction for the town. So yeah, I started up digitally Dunleary. I felt that look, the whole digitalization of what we're trying to do as a community and support the local businesses where it's at. So that's, that's when Digital Dunleary was established. And really, we've gone from strength to strength since then, Justin. We, we launched programs supporting local small businesses under our Love Dunleary campaign. We started attracting innovation-driven uh, businesses to the town under our Why Dunleary campaigns. And it led to us winning the Irish Domain Registry, or .ie, as they're called now. Uh, best Urban Town uh, of the Year in their digital awards this, uh, this summer. 
-hmm. We've been endorsed by the European Placemaking Institute. They're called uh, Placemaking Europe. And, um, and also the European Digital SME Alliance endorsed our framework. We call it Digital First Communities. How can you attract digital, you know, remote workers and home buyers and shoppers to your locality? Now, how, how experienced does a person coming into your courses or to your workshops need to be? Do they need to be tech driven or do you take people that are totally novice to the whole situation, want to set up a business and don't know where to begin? Yeah, so I'm just going to share with your, your viewers where I am at the moment, which is down at Sea Point here. It's absolutely packed. Useful. Um, loads of people in the water swimming at the moment. I mean, this is a tower behind it. I don't know if you can see this. Mm -hmm. The tower. Yeah, it's a beautiful evening here. Loads of people going in, going in swimming. Um, so we live in a wonderful place. It's, it's fantastic. So sorry, you asked me a question there, and I'm just going to do a screenshot actually so I can uh, yeah. post about this folder. So <laughs> cool. Um, yeah. yeah, like really to, to get started with Digital First Communities, all you need to do is go to our website, digitalhq.ie, mm -hmm. and you'll see our toolkits there. And then the programs we run off the back of the toolkits are really for you know beginners. You, you know, you just need to have a basic knowledge of how to use computers, how to use social media accounts, uh, very much um, based on what you can mobilize in your community, rather than having, you know, lots of uh, text marks. It's, it's very much designed around how you can do what they can with what they've got. And if they don't have lots of tech skills, or, you know, then we're not going to get the kind of take up that we want for this, this program. So we're, we're very much aimed at people who are hugely passionate about their community, but don't necessarily have to have an awful lot of digital smarts to get started with the program. Now, I, moving into more present in the past two years, has COVID been a help or a hindrance with what you're doing with your projects? Yeah, so like when we started Digital Dunleary um, five years ago, Jeepers, like it really, I felt, am I, am I, you know, is this going to lead anywhere? Is it going to help anybody apart from the immediate people? Mm -hmm. um, and then when COVID hit, and you know, people start saying, like, why, why would I want to live in cities? You know, or what? it's not necessary to go and work in a large office anymore. I can be just productive from home. That really was, you know, grist to the mill for us. Like it was very much aligned with what we've been saying that, you know, working in to be, you know, you know, if you think about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, mm. you know, we, we can't get in city, but in medieval times for safety. Um, and then in industrial times to work in factories, to start hanging out in coffee shops and taverns. But we're now in an era where, you know, with, with, with people who are working with digital tools, you know, their interest in self-actualization in a place they want to belong, in a place they want to bring up their kids. Um, and that doesn't have to be in a city center. That, that you know, is, is better in a town or, or even rural village where people are contributing to the community. So, so that's our philosophy. Take vacant buildings, repurpose them into digital growth hubs, start marketing your quality to attract more remote workers and, and home buyers. And, and that's a recipe for, for um, sustainable jobs in your locality. Absolutely. I, like, I totally agree. Like my wife, 
we we were just down in Connemara there um, at the end of uh, August, and we were going around areas of Connemara, going, wouldn't it be lovely if someone just took one of these old buildings and converted it? And do you think do you think the infrastructure is there, Owen? Like I'm sure you're traveling around the the country and just going, okay, well. The broadband and the fiber isn't here yet, but let's hope it is in the not so distant future. I think it's getting better. Definitely. It's getting better. And I suppose as well, just keep in mind that the whole 5G network that can run over the mobile towers mm-hmm. are going to be just as powerful as anything you can get over a cable over over fiber elements. So that's coming. And then you have things like Elon Musk's initiative on satellite broadband where how we've traditionally seen broadband coming down the copper from, you know, Aircom back in the day is going to be a legacy system within three three years. So, so that's one thing. And then two, you know, I suppose in terms of infrastructure, I kind of, you know, many people would see a lot of the things in rural areas, you know, the, the decay of old buildings, particularly old schoolhouses, mills, uh, courthouses. I'm trying to reframe the debate and say, well, actually, they're, they are assets. You know, they were built for an economic purpose 100 years ago. Correct, yeah. And if we, if we, if we stop seeing them as liabilities, and they're, in many cases, they're state assets, so they're owned by the Department of Education, they're owned by the state. Um, if, you know, really sort of blue sky in here, the state was to say, okay, there's a, an international model for this called Selena.com. They've raised 225 million. They set up co-working uh, spaces, you know, in really interesting places around the world. So at the front of the facility, you've got the co-working space. At the back, you've got the living quarters. So you're the best of both worlds. You get a Selena.com annual pass, and you can work for some of the biggest tech companies while seeing amazing places around the world without missing a deadline work-wise. Wow. So imagine, right? Check it out. It's worth looking at, Selena.com. So I had this idea, I said, geez, imagine if, you know, the success of the Wild Atlantic Way was replicated by overlaying it with a, a, a network of hubs. And this is this new initiative called the ConnectedHubs.ie, launched by uh, the Department of Community and Rural Development. Okay. Then come across and check them out, ConnectedHubs.ie. So they're, they're charged with kind of creating and supporting a national network of hubs. So what if you took what ConnectedHubs.ie are doing and then looked at this huge footprint of vacant school buildings, which have a big curtilage, big space around them, mm-hmm. and start, you know, as, as a state initiative, buying, buying the land or transferring to the Department of Education, getting social enterprises, you know, to take responsibility for the mar- mobilizing and marketing of the area using our digital first communities model. And then repurposing these vacant, beautiful historical buildings. Some of them are 120 years old, really well built. Um, repurposing them into that Selena.com model of co-working space at the front, and then an accommodation block at the back. And then you could buy an annual pass. You could work for Google or Salesforce or Microsoft or wherever you want to work for for 12 months trekking along the Wild Atlantic Way and get the best of both worlds. That would be amazing. Yeah, wouldn't it? Yeah, but not only that, like you're talking about the big companies, the Googles and whatever, and the employees being sent. You know what? Like, why should, like, this whole COVID environment, and there's a sort of way I brought up the program, Owen, is like, why should we have to go back to the commute of hundreds of people cramming themselves onto 
uh, trains like you live in you live in Dunleary, so the dart is, is busy at, at at rush hour. But like I, I I'm living out in in Lusk at the moment, and I'd say why do, why would I want to travel into the city centre anymore? Um, on a on a busy train every morning and try and get back in rush hour traffic. I I know that I had two hour commutes at times when I was working in UCD. Why would I want to do that anymore? You know, compared to the flexibility of at the moment working from home. But you know, why if for people that are setting up their own businesses, you know, but the bigger question, Justin, is not even why would you want to do it, but why would your employer or you do it? Because it's very cost ineffective mm -hmm. having you and, and millions like you on the road for an hour commute each way, potentially diesel, you know, greenhouse gases, wasted time and energy on the commute. And uh, it just doesn't make sense economically and the whole green economy and the circular economy, it's not sustainable. And so, you know, the government, Minister Heather Humphreys in particular, is really trying to lead this, that this, you know, temporary, uh, the, pan, the, the, the changes caused by the pandemic become and, 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 and speed up a, a serious societal change that challenges the narrative that you can only work in a city, mm -hmm. that you can only work in a factory, because they are myths, they're myths, and, and, and the pandemic has shown it. And you know, there were concerns, oh, productivity is lower and you don't get the water cooler chat effect. Okay, fair enough. So why not have a hybrid working model where you would go into the office or go into the college campus two days a week and the other three days a week you're working from a hub, hopefully, mm -hmm. or in your, in, you know, in your neighborhood or working from home. You know, that's, that's the model that we believe is sustainable. I, the, the, the negative, thoughts that people will have okay we have the COVID ends of things and health and is, is these environments going to be cleaned and sanitized and I'm sure you're you're looking after that but the other end of things away from health is probably people think about well what what's the security implications that if I go into an area okay maybe I'll bring my laptop I can work in a hub but I say a lot of these bigger firms are thinking well is it secure if I was if someone was doing a zoom call or a video conference yeah. call yeah. I'm sure you get these questions all the time well that's an interesting point Justin and look you're an AV expert yourself hmm. I would suggest there's a severe failure of the technology to keep up here as a kid I remember watching Star Wars and do you remember um was it C-3PO or R2D2 the, the droid with the wheels mm -hmm. projected yeah. a message from Princess Leia in a hologram and as a kid, I thought, wow, that's going to start happening next week or next month or next year. And what, 30 years later, we still have, we have no technology that allows augmented or virtual reality to, to make life-like experiences out of, out of uh, technology intermediated calls or whatever. We're still looking at flat screens. I'm looking at you on a phone, which yes. is progress. It's progress. But when you think of what's possible, the technology is way, way behind what we need. So... You know, if you had a, a decent VR or, or a proper kind of hologram based experience, then a lot of the things that people worry about, you know, just wouldn't be happening. So, you know, you'd have those water cooler chats. So you'd have the sense that you're, you're talking beside somebody. And um, so that's, that's, that's one side of the technology argument. Your second part was about security. Well, again, if, if the major tech companies can't keep us secure, 
um, you know, on VPNs and HTTPS protocols, I'm really, you really have to wonder, are they doing their job at all? Like, what, you know, the, the, the technology has to make us secure. And of course, we all have to take care about um, making sure our, our network traffic is encrypted, but it's not beyond um, the tech companies to make sure that's, that that happens. And there's a little bit of education needed naturally. You know, a lot of small business owners, you know, don't know what they don't know. So that's an education process that needs to happen. But I, I, I think that the technology has lagged this, this whole uh, possibility. And I think in the next 12 months, you're going to see a lot of interesting announcements. I, I do remember Apple had registered a, a, a patent for um, hologram-based TV, et cetera. I don't know why that hasn't been progressed, but mm -hmm. you know, who knows what's just around the corner. Um, and the other thing I kind of, from, a, from the point of view of a hub and, and confidentiality, there are now you know, directional microphones, et cetera, which you know, can keep your voice completely focused into the speaker. Like I've, I've been in shared co-working spaces where you know, you've, you've kind of had business calls going on around you, which, I'm using my ideal from anyone's point of view, both for me trying to concentrate, but also from you know confidentiality the clients are talking through or about. Mm -hmm. So you know, again, we need better technology. You know, we need technology that can make it so that if I'm speaking into a mic right in front of my mouth, my voice doesn't carry. Um, or you, I don't know. Again, you're the techie, Justin. Yeah. You're the AV guy. Like, what about a parabolic? Uh, mic, which you know, if you're having a confidential call, it doesn't travel beyond five two centimeters of the mic. Oh, so you could be in a shared co-working well, space. I, I no one can hear you talk. We, we, definitely, we've we've improved the whole idea of headphones and the deck and and being able to have noise cancellation headphones. But like you're saying, yeah, if we could create something that was just a microphone that you could whisper into it. And you could you could you could have a conversation like I've, I've seen I've seen some protocols that's come out even with the whole idea of COVID and wearing a mask. Well, we can put a microphone behind a mask and look, if we're going to be <laughs> if we're going to have to wear a mask for the next while or so, why not put a microphone behind us and, and have the conversation that way? I uh, did see a mic advertised the other day where the noise cancellation of background noise is, is 100 percent. So dogs barking at home or kids. You know, so it's able to cancel the noise in that direction. But yeah. I think from a point of view of a shared co-working space, you need it to be able to, if you're having a, a confidential call in a shared space, that your voice doesn't transmit beyond the, the, the mic as well to, to fellow uh, co-workers. I know, That's and of course, the, the, the next thing that could happen is, you know, uh, cameras are getting more and more um, sensitive and we can put nano dots on on lip movements so maybe it's all going to be lip synced maybe we don't have to talk at all in the future but now now you're talking justin um, there's a guy who does digital transformation programs uh ionology um niall mckeown mm. and he shared it with him doing some of his digital transformation programs in saudi arabia and it was in real time translating what he was saying along the bottom of the screen i said jesus niall how'd you do that and he said it comes free built into uh, Microsoft Slides. Wow. God, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 you have the option to translate in real time uh, what you're saying uh, to the slides. And uh, he said it was perfect. So exactly your point, Justin, you could 
you know, you could have zero talk and actually the other person hearing you talk because of the, the interpretation, you know, by the technology of your lip sync. Now, it, it means that it brings up other challenges and you'd have to start practicing your Charlie Chaplin yeah. a movie. Like, I'd have to be talking to you like... Yeah, exactly, exactly. And, and, and trying to remember. Yeah. <laughs> or, you know, you know, when you mutter something under your breath about a boss, oh, well, you want, want to be very careful about the, <laughs> you mutter under your breath at that stage. Yeah, you're talking, especially yeah. when you're around your wife and family. Yeah. It could get very uh, <laughs> difficult. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Now, so where, where's the where's your next hope of your next hub? Where I, I know that you've been very busy with Dunleary, but where where would you your next world? Well, I suppose we kind of see it, our Dunleary as our living lab. So we, we don't really intend creating a kind of a franchise or a network of hubs. What we want to do is encourage other people through connectedhubs.ie to set up their own hub. Right. So what we're doing is. We treat our Dunleary facility, which is supported by Bank of Ireland, they, they donated space to us, as a kind of a living lab. So in a living lab, you test what works on digital, what, what kind of frameworks and tools work to help support local businesses, help communities market themselves. And then we teach those through the, what we call our Digital HQ Academy. Mm -hmm. So we, we, we sort of see our, our remit, it's our mission expanding more in, in that line than actual more and more physical locations. Okay, and do, you talked about different uh, programs that sort of links in with it. Do you see more of a European base when things open up more um, with travel and stuff that more Europeans might take on board the whole idea of the accommodation and, like you say, doing yeah, the world so event, okay? Absolutely. Uh, the, the feedback we've had from the uh, European Digital SME Alliance and Placemaking Europe is there's nothing like what we're doing. There's nothing like this digital growth hub, as we call it, in our model in Europe. So there's, there's a lot of interest. And there's a great opportunity here just for Ireland, Inc. to, to be the first and the, the number one in this leading this whole new society change in Europe. So that's what we're trying to do. That's what we're hoping to do. So our digital academy is start helping other European um, countries, associations, get their kind of digital first communities up and running, trained mm. through our, our hub in Dunleary. But we're now in a situation where it's inevitable. Like, why would you want to, almost like filing into a church and sitting at specific times for, for a mass, you know, uh, on, on, on someone else's terms, um, put yourself through that. Well, you know, you, you want flexibility, you want learning that's, you know, adjustable to your needs. There's so many different learning styles. There's so many different um, modules that people would be interested in in, a, in a, a variety of ways. So like the future is blended learning. Like, yes, there'll be certainly physical presence, but a lot more of it's going to be uh, online based. But Justin, I go back to the point that technology has failed us at the moment. We need much more tactile and interactive based technology not flat screens like how we're trying to in, in, engage with each other this evening so yeah. technology has to to we, we need a real step forward in the technology to make the experiences as real and then you know education could be easily delivered and that kind of ties back in with our, our point about rural hubs like if you want to move your family to a rural location and the school you know hasn't got any space or it's a very rigid structure that's that's a problem Whereas if you have blended learning and your kids can learn a bit from home and um, from, from good technology devices, as well as being a bit in the classroom, that frees everybody up.
Yes, absolutely. Owen, if, if people want to hear more about your project and and how to get involved and, you know, even if they're down in the rural areas of Ireland, I'm sure all our international listeners are going to be very interested in this whole project in Ireland. Where can they find out more information? Well, I point you in two uh, directions, Justin. One, I did a TEDx talk um, about this whole project and turn center regeneration. So it's available on YouTube. If you just do a search, Owen Costello TEDx, uh, mm. and the title is Do What You Can With What You've Got. And then the second place is just to go to our website, www.digitalhq.ie. Well, that's all from episode 52. Uh, thanks to Owen Costello for joining us on episode 52 of the All Things Techie podcast. As always, the opinions expressed are not necessarily those of the companies and institutions that I or the guests represent or the sponsors of this show. Um, so hopefully you agree with some of my thoughts. If you don't, well, we'd love to hear your comments. Visit our website, www.allthingstech.ie. Like, comment, share, and subscribe. And we'll talk to you very, very soon. The All Things Techie Podcast is a product of the Extreme Media Network. For advertising and sponsorship opportunities, please visit www.extrememedia.ie. That's X-T-R-E-M-E, media.ie.